Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just a quick content warning that this episode contains discussions surrounding some pretty dark subject matter such as grooming, online predators, murder, cannibalism, and gore. If you're not in the mood for that business, this might not be the episode for you. Otherwise, enjoy. I always say I was yeah. raised by my computer. Mm. And I have no regrets. I think that's great. Um, <laughs> luckily, I was born a freak, so like it just stayed on brand for me. It worked out fine. <laughs> it did. <laughs> Hello, my name is Ruby Innes and welcome to Pocket Buds, a back pocket podcast where I talk to my best buds about video games and stuff. Have you ever been sent a video that turned out to be something that scarred you for life? Or watched a YouTube video all about somebody that live streamed themselves doing something unforgivable? Or maybe even read an article about the spooky and mysterious dark web? The internet in its current form, as well as its forms in the late 90s and early noughties, is a wild, wild west. One could argue that it has somehow managed to evolve despite still being rife with depravity, degeneracy, and downright dastardly content. Things change, and also stay the same. In the old days of the internet, there were shock websites, creepypastas. What is now hidden behind the walls of the dark web was right there on the clear web because global governments hadn't quite caught up with the technology. It was a messy place to be. In the current age of online, people are pretending to be request robots for money on TikTok Live. They're saying outlandish things online because engagement drives traffic and traffic drives profit. With a simple Google search, you can find millions of results for the world's most niche fetish. But alas, there's still a need for the dark web. There have been plenty of media that have attempted to address the topic of the dark web. Model Citizen does it in a lifetime movie way. Beauty comes at a high price. Silk Road does it in a base level biopic way. 
Making small talk with your pot dealer sucks. Buying cocaine can get you shot, but what if you could buy drugs online like socks or light bulbs? The most well-known in-your-face one, though, has to be the film Unfriended Dark Web, where the premise of Unfriended is taken a step further as the deaths of the victims are live-streamed to the spookiest part of the internet. Dude, this is Dark Web. What's Dark Web? Part of the internet where no one can track you. It's all about drugs, illegal IDs, even assassination for hire. Yeah, the dark net is mostly about the bad guys. And yet, there haven't been mainstream explorations of the horrors of online in the video game world. Of course, that's where the indie market thrives, but what if there was a game that could really capture the essence of an internet gone rogue, where your goal was to become the number one streamer on a wretched platform? Dark Web Streamer is a permadeath horror RPG streaming sim developed by South Australian studio We Have Always Lived in the Forest. In it, you are tasked with streaming for viewers and subscribers, surfing a strange and ominous web, befriending and defriending NPCs via homebrewed artificial intelligence messaging system, buying weird shit and doing weird rituals, and contaminating your apartment with ghosts and demons. Doesn't that sound fun? Joining me today to talk about Dark Web Streamer, Creepypasta, and the weirdest and most horrific sides of the internet is founder of Game Studio We Have Always Lived in the Forest and my spooky friend, Chantal Ryan. How are you tonight? Hi, I am pretty good. Should I be like, I'm spooky? (laughs) (laughs) That's me. It's all very eerie tonight. It is. It's a spooky kind of night. I feel like, would you consider night to be inherently spooky or do you think it's something that we've just kind of placed on it? Uh, I mean, I think that it is in viable ways, you know, there's... The things in the shadows and the things that eat us tend to come out at night. There's some kind of ancestral DNA memory going on where we're like, oh shit, sun's gone down, the cougars come out. Yeah, it's it's a classic um, uh, kind of natural predator kind of kind of time, you know. And I mean, I, I, it's hard because I feel like certain like quote unquote spooky animals get a lot of get a lot of heat for simply existing you know snakes for example Mm. like they're not like when you think about it they're not that scary they're just kind of like lizards with no legs (laughs) and sharp fangs (laughs) this is also and poison well and but you know i'm a big fan of snakes and you know what they move pretty slowly as long as you're not in striking distance it's all good and like, how many of them can really kill you? Quite a few, many, but... Right? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean... But oh, they whoa. might not. <laughs> and that's the important thing. You've got to look on the bright side of life. Exactly. But yeah, and, you know uh, what I don't understand? Bats. Bats are like yeah. flying puppies. What is the this bat way. thing? I feel like the, bat, bats got a bad rap just because they're kind of like... They're a little ratty, but they're also like a. I think people can't deal with um, uh, kind of defining features of two different species being in one <laughs> animal. You know what I mean? So, like, bats, they can uh, fly <laughs> like a bird, but they are rat like. And I feel like people uh, 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 fear that. And then they're nocturnal. So, <laughs> that makes it even worse. Yes, the predator. 
So yeah. secretly, the flying rats that want to eat us is the Ruby breakdown of the fear of bats. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They all want to eat us. Is, is mm. basically the gist. I mean, there's their mouths are just bats, right? too like, small. The like vampire pets are real, right? Yeah, absolutely. I um I went to a museum exhibition on parasites a few years back, as you do. I had to pay to get into it and everything. And <laughs> my favorite exhibition, oh, you know, little mini exhibit there, it uh, had a real vampire bat. What's, it was taxidermy, that's the word. And they gave you all this info about it, and it said that vampire bats like to actually land on your back. Um, and they will kind of just like, very lightly, gently land and stay on like either the back of the neck or the back and they'll just kind of feed and suck your blood for as long as they can without you noticing. And yeah, sir, I mean, I think that's friendly in a way. They try to, (laughs) they keep themselves (laughs) out of the way. It's not like a big event. It's, you know, it's a little bit like a mosquito bite. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I look. I might. I might be wrong, um, and I'm probably. But like, I feel like me personally, if I was able to, if, I don't know, if I had a, a bat land on me, um, like like a, a a creature as big as a. I mean, a, it depends how big vampire bats are, because because I know that that some of them, some bats are small, some bats are big. Yeah, but I think either way, large they're, they're about hand size, size. Right? yeah. Wouldn't you notice? Or maybe you're just distracted? Mm. I mean, I don't think that humans are their primary targets. I'm not actually sure that they do target humans at all. Um, I think they have preferred prey. But, Mm. you know, it does make you wonder, how how often does a vampire bat feed on a human? Yeah, like, do they they at all? And and if they did, would you notice, or, or are they simply just I, yeah. too light? Existential you know? questions. <laughs> the questions that keep us up at night. Right. See, it's before be- Google, <laughs> they were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking of what keeps us up at night, God, that's a good segue. How did the <laughs> development of dark web streamer start for you? Oh, well, I was keeping myself up at night actually watching horror (laughs) movies as you do um yeah late night by myself and browsing amazon prime and i've always been a sucker for found footage films blair witch project is one of my adorations in life um, and I saw on, I think, Amazon Prime, there was this obscure-looking movie, um, and it was called Dybbuk Box, The Story of Chris Chambers, I believe. Have you seen it, Ruby? I've not, and I've watched a lot of horror okay, movies, but I haven't so heard of that one. My trivia is that I've spoken to a lot of people about this movie now and i've brought it Mm. up to a lot of intense horror aficionados to this day i have never actually met someone who has seen the movie um other than those who i told about it and who immediately ran to watch it 
sir. You're yeah. welcome <laughs> to Big Box Story <laughs> Chris Chambers Makers. I have increased your viewership by like 500%, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will be awaiting the royalties in the mail. But yeah, oh, they so better send them. <laughs> yes, that's how capitalism works. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was watching this movie and it was told, it was a found footage film told through essentially YouTube videos, which is a great premise, I think. And so you kind of just watch this series of YouTube clips that this guy had recorded and um it actually opened with a whole bunch of news footage that was probably fake but it was uh these news articles talking about this phenomenon of dark web unboxings so they would get these um you know people would go into the dark web and there are like sites where you can find people selling haunted boxes online and you could order them, and, you know, it tells you don't open them, but of course, people were going on the internet and actually unboxing them as, you know, people would film an iPhone unboxing. I don't know if that's popular on the internet today anymore, but it used to be in, like, mm. the, you know, 2010s or something like that. Unboxings were a huge thing. Anyway, this is real. This is a real phenomenon. I had no idea dark web unboxings existed and oh yeah they're really oh, you, popular you're on top of it all right good. yeah i've seen wow. i've seen like a, a few of them and, and some of them are very cheesy and mm. and some of them are uh like well done um, <laughs> we'll actually talk about that later but but I, i've seen them and it, it's a weird phenomenon of people i think it's just the the excitement of the unknown and mm -hmm. and uh like yeah, yeah, the the fear of the unknown and the excitement around that fear as well because not a lot of people can get to to the dark web uh mm -hmm. or the deep web. So it's 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 this interesting thing of like, oh, what spooky things lie <laughs> behind Tor, you know? It's uh -huh. funny. Yeah, I, it's great. I love it. And you know, as you're talking, you're reminding me of my game and I'll kind of design <laughs> um push behind that because yeah, I had the the exact same response to that. I thought, damn, that's really interesting. That is a really interesting topic to engage with. Uh, funnily, I always think about Monopoly when we talk about this because when I was a kid and I would play Monopoly, my favorite thing about the whole game was the chance cards. I loved yep. the opportunity to pick up a chance card and find out what happened. And whether it was bad, whether it was good, you know, I was just excited to see what little kind of like story event happened to me through the yeah. course of the game. And I think we all kind of relate to that, sir. I think something like the dark web unboxing is kind of like a real life Monopoly chance card. <laughs> when we open the box, we're like, hmm, I'm going to flip the card and see what's on the other side. Maybe it'll be something cool and funny, or maybe I'll get haunted by a demon and the rest of my <laughs> life will be horrible. So, yeah, it's totally even odds. It's fine. Um, 
but yeah, so I watched this movie and it, you know, kind of just filmed this guy unboxing. Well, you know, at first he ordered it and he was like, damn, this actually looks really cool. And then you could see the actor did actually a really good job of portraying this sense of tension between, uh, you know, acting out this kind of primal response he was having in um, response to interacting with and even being near this box. So he had this visceral reaction of almost, you know, going back to things like DNA memory, like, ooh, I this is bad. Like, I don't want to mess with this. This this is a very bad thing for me to be engaging with. But then he had this other side where, you know, he'd told his viewers, I am ordering this dark web box. I'm going to unbox it on the stream. It's going to be so cool. Get amped for it. And so I thought that tension between this kind of knowing or like sensing that something will be actually really bad for you mm-hmm. but disregarding that in order p- to pursue popularity or fame or clout or likes and subscribers that juxtaposition is really really interesting in terms of the fact that it's actually something that we see people like streamers and influencers going through every day I've been interested in streamer culture for quite a long time now. Um, I was an early streamer myself, actually. Some people might know before Twitch. It was actually called, like, Justin.tv. So I used to stream (laughs) on Justin TV and, you know, a little bit on the early days of Twitch. Not much. Um, But yeah, so I watched it grow. Actually, some of the you know, biggest streamers to ever have exist. I actually knew personally when they were young teenagers. Um, Just, you know, I'm a gamer. They were gamers and we ran in the same circles. So I actually got to watch some really interesting trajectories from totally normal teenage kid to mega global star. And, you know, (laughs) those trajectories haven't always been what looks like great for them yeah so yeah all of these things kind of combined in this one night of movie watching um and you know i should mention i'm an anthropologist as well so my some of my research specialities are identity and personhood so what makes a person a person and how do we Uh, begin to seize on a sense of identity or how do we differentiate other people's identities so it was all yeah this kind of crazy amalgam of oh you know what would be really cool if we kind of presented this scenario to say a player and had them go through kind of almost these real life decisions streamers make of should I harm myself more to potentially get more likes and subscribers and money? Um, and, you know, as an example, something like the 24-hour streams that streamers do or even 48-hour streams sometimes, that's actually really bad for your health. I say that as a chronic and crippling insomniac myself. Um, it's not something you should volunteer to do, but people do. 
uh, quite regularly. Also things like, you know, I'll take shots for donations or every X amount of followers. Um, and yeah, I can see across YouTube a lot of self-harming behaviors or people harming behaviors, even um, prank videos, things like this. People really just like pursuing questionable acts in pursuit of this fame yeah fame yeah Mm. it's so simple yet so kind of horrific and and i guess like with like uh uh current because because you know like kind of the 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 uh uh horrific i call it horrific the horrific uh evolution of streaming um to what it is today has it's it's been a slow burn it's been happening for quite a few years now and like you there there are quite a few horror horror movies that have taken a stab at it and and they're like oh uh what if on the on on the dark web there was there was this way that you could watch someone getting killed and, mm. and it's so it's so fucked <laughs> up you know and like like i get it and and but uh it's fascinating because because you see that trickling into the 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 you know the quote unquote regular internet uh, where and it's it's not stuff as intense as just like snuff but like you know people people turning into like human nuzlocke runs for money <laughs> on TikTok and 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 uh, swatting in streaming and and very troubling parasocial relationships between streamers mm-hmm. and their communities and just you know general live streaming oddities uh, uh an episode that I did with um my my friends from Thumbcrams podcast we talked about Bob's game and Bob's game uh uh Robert Poloni the developer behind Bob's game he did a a 30 day long stream he streamed himself working on his game and he got barely any sleep he was isolated and he was going he was going mad <laughs> realistically mad. and it's it's the kind of thing of like like I guess, uh, what's what's your take on kind of the state of live streaming these days? Because there are parts of it that are quite like, when you take a step back, it's like, oh, this is really weird <laughs> and alarming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I- I'm not, I'm not totally enthused about it. I think it's, yeah, it's the zeitgeist of our generation. I think it is. I don't think we realize it now, but the way just like the evolution of the internet and the mainstreaming of the internet was a, you know, our generation, gen, I don't know, are we gen X? Um, yeah. I think so, yeah, I think uh, so. Oh, millennials? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Millennial generation. Um, no, no. So, well, you know, well, whatever the kind of like late. 80s yeah. to you know mid 90s mid 90s yeah um for us it was the internet the internet kind of went mainstream but it was still early days and you know we we didn't even have the internet speeds to stream <laughs> so you know that kind of defined us it was near pets and it was geo cities and it was gosh i don't even know um the you probably know Ruby, like uh, the like animation site. So yeah, I mean Lemon Party. Lemon Party. Oh god, um, all the YouTube poop and and yeah. 
I think you're you're the man now. I think that's uh, you're the man now, dog. Where it was all those like meme websites. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, old like, internet. Man, there was a couple that were just like gore sites that all the kids mm. would show each other, and that was kind of about the worst the internet got. Yeah. Um, also, leak. torrenting. Uh, I mean, I feel even I would define live leak. I think is coming a little bit later. Uh, I'm it not was sure later. if the history, like, I don't know how obscure it was for a while, and mm. maybe it went mainstream, but um, we def- we had thing. our own versions before. Oh, that. Yeah. that was like, you know, you just, I, I don't know, there's too much. I'm having incredibly intense flashbacks of all the, <laughs> like, horrible things I saw yeah. as a child on the internet. Um, but yeah, oh, like, God, torrents, yes. and you would try to download... Like a My Little Princess movie, and you would get honest to God child porn, like oh, that yeah. had been saved as, like, you know, My Little Pony dot MP4 or yep. AVI. Um, so, you know, it was, it was rough back then, but it was kind of like you were on the receiving end of mysterious bad actors. Whereas mm. today, there's this really interesting, um, you know, it's, I would describe it as parasocial. It is kind of like the generation speaking to the rest of the generation. It is, you know, kids and teenagers kind of putting content out into the world to be consumed by their friends and their peers. And um, one of the issues is that when you're younger, I mean, we're all stupid. Let me just put that out there. You don't like age out and become unstupid. We're all our own versions of stupid. You become an adult and you get money and then you become stupid with money. So I'm not yeah. like, you know. And I'm very kids. stupid with not much money. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the sweet spot. <laughs> um. But yeah, so, but like, you know, there are certain versions of stupid reserved for young brains. And, um, young brains also like to encourage stupidity. We are, you know, I was a teenager not that long ago. And, you know, we would always encourage each other to do horrible things. But the problem is now it's all online. So now you have, like thousands of people at any moment that can basically have access to you and also developing person who is probably, you know, fairly easily influenced. And, um, you know, you can have ideas put into your mind or be peer pressured into things. And you can also give ideas back and influence a whole bunch of people. And what actually happens is there's an interesting cultural formation that goes on where as, you know, a person puts an idea out to a group of people and then the group takes the idea and kind of runs with the idea what that happens is it begins to normalize these kinds of ideas. People start tossing them back and forth. And, you know, I'll, we'll use Tide Pods as an example. The Tide Pod phenomenon where it started off as a jerk. Wouldn't it be funny? You know, Tide Pods look like candy. And then it was like, oh, someone should eat one. And then someone did. And it's like, well, I did. Now you do. And all of a sudden teenagers yeah. are dropping dead from eating laundry detergent. <laughs> yeah 
And it's it's alarming. It's just like it's just like a why Yeah, you're like you're like it's it it feels like there should be uh uh you know, you know, there should be a second of critical thinking, but then you remember that it's kids and and I feel like such Obviously, like, I can entirely relate to what you were talking about when it came to, like, there was shit on the internet that I was seeing as, as a child that I definitely should not have seen, and I think it had a very serious effect on my brain. <laughs> uh, but I feel like now, more than ever, uh, uh, there is a, a, a huge amount of children on the internet. There are way more children on the internet now than there ever have, has mm-hmm. been, you know? Absolutely true. And I think... Uh, uh, it gets to a point where where uh, all these children who are online are kind of all influenced by each other, as well as by bad actors uh, who happen to be adults who think it would be funny for children to uh, suffer. You know, which is mm-hmm. which is fucked, like like realistically. <laughs> but but like it's, I feel like it's uh, the the internet back in the day, back in our day, it was it was a bit <laughs> it was a bit crazy and like you you'd suddenly happen upon some guy getting his leg chopped off and that would be horrible to see mm-hmm. but i feel like now it's more of like a a, a wild west because there's more people on the internet now than there ever have been and uh a whole lot of them uh are either children or not particularly nice people and when you put them together, it means yeah. a whole lot of children are being exposed <laughs> to more children than ever are being exposed to bad shit, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's that kind of, it's that accessibility and that direct um, transfer of connection and uh, the ability to engage with each other and talk to each other in kind of unprecedented ways that is so interesting and um, from a, a cultural perspective, if we think of culture as, um, you know, like a body or think of it as a person and, you know, we have DNA and DNA usually takes many, many evolutions to kind of change into a new kind of thing, a, a different form or gain different kinds of traits What's happening now is the culture is rapidly mutating. Instead of, you know, once every year, it's kind of making its little DNA rotation. Now it's like thousands or millions of times a minute Mm. it's making these rotations. So there's like this kind of mad chaos of culture right now where it's it's really difficult to keep up, which is interesting in itself. There's all these subcultures going on but like you said when there are so many bad actors around uh, and so many really you know I when I talk about this I want to say like really easily influence people I immediately go back to uh, me being a teenager and I would hear adults talk about oh there's easily influenced dumb teenagers and I would be offended and you know it's it's not that I'm meaning to offend or that it's even offensive, I would say to like the smart teenagers like us. Um, yeah. That like imagine your peers there. Like imagine how easily influenced most other people your age you yeah. know are. Like that's this is the issue. Yeah. Well, that's that's a thing. Is like 
they're not e- – these kids and these teenagers, they're not even dumb. They're just – they're not – their brains aren't fully formed yet. They're, they're, they're not capable of the, the critical thinking and critical analysis uh, that is learned over time up into adulthood and beyond, you know. Mm. So, like, it's not even a case of they're dumb. They're, they're, like, I, I, I like to think that I wasn't a particularly <laughs> stupid teenager. I, I was – uh, uh, you know, naive, but I wasn't stupid. I was quite, mm. quite intelligent and quite, quite uh, empathetic, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but that being said, uh, there were definitely times being online where I was exposed to things I shouldn't have been, a, and was a part of things that I shouldn't have been at that age. <laughs> where oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, exactly. It, it, it's just like it's like I wasn't stupid. I, it, I was just there. And and I think that's a huge part of it. I think naive is really the perfect word to use. And, you know, like, we talk about brain development and blah, blah, Mm. blah. I don't even think that's necessarily, like, the biggest issue. I think it is that when you're growing up, you just – you've been deliberately shielded by adults from a lot of the world. And, yeah, you go Mm. out and you access all sorts of things that adults try to hide from you. Uh, and you are usually successful, but there's just, there's so much knowledge that comes from simply being alive longer. Like if you imagine yourself at 10 and imagine yourself at 15 or imagine yourself at five and then 10, yeah. um, you, you don't have like a really robust model of the world yet. And this is like exactly why streamer culture is so interesting right now is because it, in a way, it's kids raising kids in a way that they've never experienced before. They've got oh, these, yeah. like, completely unbridled, unvetted, um, say, you know, like, teenagers on YouTube and Twitch talking directly to their peers. Um, but they don't have a good model of the world. And so they're all just kind of guessing about the world or they're all encouraging things and they're all normalizing things. And they kind of, Mm. because there's so many of them, they begin to have this kind of validation effect where it's like, oh, someone, like an influencer, a teenager with 10 million YouTube subscribers said a thing because they say it and I respect them, I believe what they said. And then you have all these millions and millions of kids take that and go and disseminate it across their circles. And then that becomes kind of like a belief. And, you know, Mm. this isn't an issue that is um, restrained to children or teenagers or youtube watches this is a real problem across all of society but yeah when it's it's really magnified in these these spaces oh absolutely and uh going back to your game because i feel like it it does kind of capture this uh ebbs uh essence of like eeriness and the unknown but also the the uh, uh horror and broad daylight type of, of internet that we know, right? And uh, it's quite amazing because uh, the AI within your game is is not only made by you yourself, but mm-hmm. uh, has a, 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 an influence on on the chat. And I, I'm I'm 
explaining it wrong, which is why I'd love for you <laughs> to talk about it. Um, just just uh, explain a little bit about uh, your AI for the dark web streamer and kind of like what made you want to make it, you know? Okay, make the AI or make dark web yeah. streamer? Uh, I mean okay. like both, but would birth? love to know more about the AI big time. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, you know, lots of conversation about AI and how it's terrible going on right now. So, you know, in the discourse of what's actually being dis- discussed, you know, I'll say I'm very pro-labor and creatives, etc. Mm. I am a creative and um, so I'll put the disclaimer out first that how <laughs> AI is using the traditional term. Um, artificial intelligence aka yes. the intent is to make it feel like the computer is alive and actually understands what's going around you it has the illusion of being intelligent it is not a llm a large language model we didn't scrape databases <laughs> etc um so yeah it's all handmade hand designed primarily by myself and uh, the way that we use AI in the game is primarily for language. And that's because Docklab Streamer is really, it's a lot of things. I'll, you know, the little spiel for those who don't know, I'll give it is Docklab Streamer is a psychological horror, occult RPG streamer simulation game. And your job is to go onto the internet, find the weirdest, creepiest shit you can find, and bring it back to your stream in order to gain viewers and subscribers so that you can become the number one ranked streamer on the internet. Unfortunately for you, the supernatural is real, so as you engage with the darkness of the internet, the more it engages with you, so your apartment becomes progressively haunted by demons and spirits. Or you might just get stalked and home invaded by someone you pissed off online or someone who loved you a little too much. So, yeah, essentially you're playing a streamer on the internet. And I use all those buzzwords, you know, RPG, um, simulation. It is those things, but the way that I really think of it is as an emergent narrative roguelike game. And so the entire game is procedurally generated, and um, every event that you experience in the game is procedurally generated as well. So the game is primarily told to you through text. Mm. It's it's you know it's visual. You play on um, a computer interface, so you're playing on a fake computer, but the real events are being written to you. And because the game is a roguelike, you know, it tries to kill you on the regular, it often succeeds, um, you are expected to play many, many times and to get a different story every time. Now, in order to do that, I was just one of two people working on the game when it began. It was um, co-founded by a good friend of mine, Ryan Truk, who... Um, graciously offered to learn how to program in order to make my dream game come true um so you know we started this as kind of a for fun friends project and it quickly took on a mad life of its own 
Uh, we did recently bring on a new lead programmer who's now rebuilding the game <laughs> with proper code practices. Um, but, you know, it had a great run, and I'll always respect the the ramshackle architecture. OG of the code. Yeah. <laughs> it had a lot of spunk. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was faced with the issue of, okay... I want to simulate the internet. How do I do that? <laughs> and I want people to be able to chat because, like, there is no internet without people. The like, people literally are the internet. That's what's so cool about it. So it's like, cool, cool. I need to make a fully replayable, procedurally generated game. That allows you to speak to lots of people and have web pages and events that change. Well, I guess I need to figure out how to make language make itself so I don't have to write tens of millions of lines. So, um, my background is in anthropology and English. I'm a writer, but I'm also a big linguistics nerd. And I had been studying, um, like I mentioned, the identity of anthropo- um, the anthropology of identity and personhood. So I started off going, okay, how the hell can I make a system that makes people sound like real people? How do I give them a yeah. sense of identity? Um, and identity requires personality characteristics and it requires differentiation not everyone can sound like everyone else i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So I kind of came up with this system after doing a lot of personal engagement with the question, what makes a personal person? What? are the components required for a sense of individual identity. One of the primary things that came up for me is that one of the first things we use to differentiate between one person and another and assign an immediate sense of identity is actually the way people speak. So as soon as you say any word to me, I'm immediately building my my profile of, say, <laughs> Ruby. You know, did you say hello? Did you say hi? Did you say yo? Did you smile while you said it? When we're talking online, do you use emojis? Do you, you know, 
type How out many exclamation marks do you exactly. use? <laughs> are you a very pretentious typer? Or are you the kind of person who uses the letter U for Y or U? And yeah, that's it. There's so much personality in all of that. So I was like, okay, we need to capture that. And that was kind of the beginning of what ended up being like a fairly crazy system used across the entire game. Um, essentially, I just kind of sat with that and figured out how to write systems that um, kind of generated different language for different characters. And then I started building in things like personality sheets, the way you might have in something like Dungeons and Dragons or other ta tabletop role-playing games where, you know, it's like, well, they have a character history, they have an appearance, what, who are their family, are they in love, what are their goals? Um, so yeah, we started building this language generator, and then I realized I could use the principles of those and apply it to things like event text generation, um, so that all the events you encountered in the game were also varying, um, across a whole range of different kinds of experiences and kinds of sentences and, um, then, you know, I started really nodding out and being like, okay, well, can we make, uh, things in the game persistent and things in the game variables so that when things are variable, they can reference the persistent things in the game and really make you feel like this is a real story that's being written about the random things you're experiencing. So... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to talk about without getting super technical, but ultimately, <laughs> um, I, my primary goal and challenge has been to try to make a game that feels like an intimately written story that knows what it's talking about while retaining that ability for random generation. So instead of it being a totally just like, random series of events that have no links to each other and you're just kind of getting from point A to point Z um, with no sense of reason between. My goal has been to try to maintain um, a sense of consistency. So write systems that actually do randomly generate a thing, but then they remember the thing and they say, oh, you know, I know that you experienced that in the game and so I'm actually gonna bring that back later and I'm gonna put that into another experience so you can tell that the game is actually paying attention to your personal story and yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome like, and I mean like <laughs> no it's good it's cool it's 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 such a, a cool system and and uh to see how much kind of like thought and work went into it is awesome because like realistically it kind of is hard to grasp what people on the internet actually sound like first things first because like I feel like I've seen so many uh like there's a, a game that I played which to be fair was a really fun good game I think it was called needy streamer Over overload mm. or something like that yep. um I'm familiar I haven't played it yeah it's it's he's fun um, a very, very cutesy 
kind of like uh, uh, if Dark Web Streamer met Doki Doki Literature Club uh, mm-hmm. met Yandere Simulator, and, <laughs> and they're all yeah all put that together into a mishmash. It's it's a very fascinating game, but I yeah. think something for me personally that kind of held it back, even though it wasn't trying to be kind of immerse super immersive and hype and, and like realistic was like it does like the classic uh uh like video game based on the internet thing of like having people talk in like lead speak and 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 really over the top uh kind of chat and and, and like that was like you know it, it's 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 not how people talk you know it's, yeah it didn't people, resonate Exactly. So, so it's it's uh, it's very cool to to learn about what goes into kind of making what is clearly not human sound human. You know, it, mm-hmm. it rocks. And I mean, uh, there's a thing with with games and with media that kind of covers uh, uh, the topics of 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 the dark web and and on a larger scale, the deep web. Um, and they do it, and it's it's clickbaity you know like like it's Mm. it's very much like it comes from a perspective of someone kind of who has no real idea what the dark web is and instead kind of like oh it's spooky like it's a spooky (laughs) area so bad things happen yeah oh it's it's like the internet but for evil people (laughs) imagine hell but online (laughs) like it's it's very that you know and so, like, how did you and, and, and your team go about capturing kind of the essence of uh, the dark web uh, in dark web streamer in, in, in a way that doesn't feel like a, you know, clickbaity YouTube video about the dark web? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my evil secret is that when I talk about the dark web, I'm actually referring to the old web, mm. um, which to me is the true dark web. Uh, and, you know, in ways that's very literal, this was largely before the days of Google, so there wasn't kind of like this big, easy search engine or network of all websites, much the way that something like Tor is today. Um, but, I mean, Tor, I've spent plenty of time on Tor, I host websites on the Tor network, Um they will be for dark web fans to find <laughs> later. Um, but, you know, I, I find it a fairly tame and boring place. It's like, you know, most of the websites are dead half the time because you need live hosting. Yeah. Most of the links are broken. And when you find a live one, it's <laughs> like either something very blase or it's like, hey, you want to buy some drugs? Drugs like, is a huge thing. Like, I feel like, like people yeah. think it's going to be live leak times a million, but a lot of it's just drugs. Yeah, it's really boring. It's mm. like, you know, you're friend's shitty house and he's got a bunch of weird <laughs> jaws and uh, you know you like leave some money in the letterbox and he leaves a jar in your letterbox <laughs> like that's tall to me it's so it's so blasé but but the old web the one that mm. we grew up on and you know i 
I've been online since I was about five years old, so probably like 1994. Yeah. I got my own computer when I was eight, and I was heavily unsupervised. As soon as I was <laughs> yeah. given a computer, my mother was like, cool, got a free babysitter. Have fun. And Bye. I checked out the rest of your childhood. <laughs> so I always say I was raised by my computer, mm. and I have no regrets. I think that's great. Um, <laughs> luckily, I was born a freak, so like... It just stayed on brand for me. It worked out fine. It did. <laughs> I was like, I was able to be my best self. <laughs> um, but and you know, I've got I've got plenty of weird and creepy and terrible stories. That I don't know if we'll have time to cover, but if we don't, we can maybe do a part two of <laughs> <laughs> Ruby yeah. and Chantel's deep dark online <laughs> deep, stories. Deep dark past with the online. <laughs> right. Ooh. And yeah, oh, I've got some real juicy yeah. ones. Let me tell but- you, being therapist to uh, <laughs> uh, uh, people in their te- teens to 20s on Habbo Hotel when I was nine, mm-hmm. now that's incredible stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that'll grow you up real fast. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. Oh, man, the things we got into there was great. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, that that was kind of why it was great. Because, like, the internet was kind of the domain of, like, a bunch of, like, freakishly intelligent super nerds. And um, really, really, like, lonely, isolated people who Mm. desperately needed human contact but had no social skills or you know just like kind of tech savvy teenagers who had somehow or you know younger children who had managed to get their hands on a computer and been left unsupervised for a while that was kind of the the primary uh demographics of the older web and you know we had some like grandmas around sometimes and some some other you know it wasn't only three demographics but primarily you had you know the the people we spoke about earlier the bad actors who you know found the internet a really great place to connect both with people also not doing great things in real life, but also people who might be their victims. Um, but yeah, because of that, and because the internet was new, and there were no real safeguards, and no one knew what to look out for, and there hadn't ever been really a collective shining into like the entire world psyche, the way that the internet has become, no one... Like, there were very few rules, and there were very few kind of processes for doing things like making sure really horrible content didn't end up online. There weren't many moderation tools. So, you know, I personally spoke to so many active pedophiles online growing up. Um, Just, I cannot begin to count how many real you know mid-30s men I spoke to as a nine or ten year old who immediately started having sex talk with me and asking me for photos um so yeah that was I mean to me that's that's the dark web that's a scary internet oh yeah it's the place where you know people showed up and where they're in immersed selves because there were no rules on that internet. There were no watchdogs. 
that was in her way to kind of catch people. Um, so yeah, when, when I design stuff like Doc Web Streamer, I'm designing from a point of having experienced what a really scary internet looks like. Um, I, you know, there was lots of instances of kids meeting up with people they met online and being abducted or assaulted, mm. etc. Um, and I, I have spoken personally to so many of those people. There were, you know, and personally, I have been a researcher of the dark and the occult since I was a kid, and the internet was my primary mode of research. So I used to love spending time on things like uh, magic websites and the unexplained. I would dig and dig for paranormal videos online. Now, keep in mind, this was before the age of, like, Google and, uh, you know, really well-networked search engines. So what you used to do is often you would uh, follow web rings or follow links that a website would give you. So a web ring, for the many who don't know, was essentially a group of sites would kind of have a particular theme that they all went by and you know one site owner would contact another and be like hey we should make a web ring that means we'll link to each other and any other site that comes into the ring and they would make these little pockets of um web page kind of connections so you could click on the web ring and find links to very similar topics so that was really cute and intimate and fun. Um, but yeah, it was great fun to surf those and kind of you'd accidentally go from like a Wiccan page to a ghost investigations page, uh, then to an X-Files fan page. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all the same. But yeah, it was all very interesting, very intimate. Um, and I... I remember one time, I think I was nine or ten, I had heard about snuff films on the internet, and then I mm. had heard people saying that that was just kind of an urban legend, and I loved a good rabbit hole, and I was like, I am an expert researcher online. <laughs> if they exist, I will find them. I am going to yeah. prove once and for all whether <laughs> they do or don't exist. So I remember being like ten and spending months literally months looking for snuff videos online through which point i found some very unsavory content i watched a lot of gore my friends not you know not for joy but purely for research i mm. you know this is something i maintained into an adulthood i've always um stared down the ugly side of humanity in my search for truth uh, but yeah, an interesting tidbit and something that kind of definitely has influenced Doc Web Streamer a lot is um, there was actually a case in Germany. I can't remember what year, but in like the 2000s sometime. Um, and it was a German man named Armin Muse. Some people might recognize the name and know where I'm going with this. But he was arrested in Germany for um, 
for cannibalism. And he... I remember this. <laughs> mm, I remember the this. German yeah. cannibal. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, but the, the person, like, agreed to it? I, I yeah. remember. It was like they the, the early, early noughties. It was. It was a naughty yeah. time. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, my story is actually that um, while I was looking for snuff videos, I ended up on these interesting forums. Forums was kind of the way that most people connected back in the day. Mm. For, um, forums and IRC, sorry, were the kind of community modes of contact. So I ended up on these cannibalism forums. And it was really interesting because, you know, I'd been on a lot of forums, but people were really into role-playing cannibals on these forums. They were very on brand. They took it very seriously. They never broke character. Now, you know, I didn't get weirded out by much, but I remember being weirded out when I was on that site. And so... There were, I forget the terminology, but I feel like it was something like, you know, the eaters and the eaten, eaters. The, 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 the consumer and uh, the. Maybe the meal. The I don't know. I feel like it might have been the eaters and the meals. I might be making <laughs> yeah, that up. Yeah, like, I mean, like, <laughs> it makes sense, you know. It does. But yeah, so it wasn't just, you know, cannibals. Like, I want to be a cannibal. There were just as many people who talked about wanting to be eaten mm. than to do the eating, which, you know, is really, I think, psychologically fascinating. Um, and so they would chat and it, you know, that would be these interesting exchanges that happened. But I remember one message I read and I just, I remember getting, I felt sick actually mm. when I read it. Um, something about it feel, felt so real compared to all the other ones. And like, you know, I remember having a moment, I was like, is this real? Like, is this person serious? And I remember some people had replied. Um, anyway, so I'd moved on. It wasn't a snuff tape, so that had nothing to do with me. Um, but yeah, Germany. Germany happens. Cannibalism happens. And it turns out that this guy, Armin Muse, met someone on these cannibalism forums and yeah. they started DMing each other, and this guy wanted to be eaten. Almond Muse wanted to eat someone. And they exchanged details, and the guy, whose name I don't recall, f but flew there. And after um, dining together on the meal's penis, which yep. was reported to be near inedible, um, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because it's not funny. It's just like bizarre that it happened. It is. Oh, it's completely bizarre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he he ended up stabbing him, and it was look. It's a little bit. I I know everyone's gonna think I'm uh, an insane, horrible person. <laughs> I probably am, but it's a little bit sweet. Like he, they they <laughs> got. <laughs> I know, I like, know. It's a it's a weird thing of like obviously it is it is 
bizarre and 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 troubling to to the average person and like you know i find it bizarre and troubling but it's it's a fascinating thing of like both parties agreed to it so yeah. like the, there was this yeah. intimacy like they birthed they were they were such freaks in society and they found each other and their needs matched and like you know i've done a lot of research on these people um, you know, they're both very, very depressed, very isolated, very lonely, fairly suicidal, um, had these, like, these were fetishes, you know, fetishes can really dominate mm-hmm. uh, your mind and your life, and these are, like, almost unfulfillable fetishes that they really struggle to live with, um, and the person who was eaten, I believe, like, was planning to commit suicide, but wanted to be eaten, and what seemed like um he seemed to think that providing nourishment from his body was actually like the most kind of desirable way for him to go um and you know they they signed like a form there was like consent taken there was like a declaration made that like i declare i consent to be eaten for him to kill me blah blah, blah. um anyway so <laughs> That's a it's a hell of a story segue, but I I I matched up the times. I did a lot of research, and I realized that no, truly, I saw that happen. Like I saw Almond Muse post on the cannibalism forums. I saw yeah. it get responded to, and um, I watched this incredibly bizarre event. Act- like take place on the internet in front of me that then carried over into real life yeah so really having kind of confronted the way that you know kind of like parasocial relationships or like just bizarre circumstances can happen online and then have very very real world effects is like kind of something i'm really i'm it's in my blood is the best way I can put it. Yeah. It was kind of introduced so early, totally. And uh, to kind of, uh, you know, tie a bell on it, throw throw us off. Uh, throw us <laughs> off? I don't know. Uh, what's, a, what's a turn of phrase? Um, what is your favorite internet horror story? Oh, Mm. Uh, real life are we talking like creepypasta kind of Cre- I, I think creepypasta is a good way we we went into real life and yeah it, I, know. It I'm like, I feel like i might have just told it <laughs> yeah but, but, but your favorite creepypasta oh that's a good question um i don't want to butcher the name so i'm gonna no that's okay i can start uh, yeah because i do. i always loved the the kind of video like Oh, it's funny because I, I I'm in the video game industry, blah 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 blah. But like, I loved the video game related ones. You know, I loved uh, going into, you know, like the hacked games and like 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 Sonic EXE and and Ben Drowned and stuff. I I, I loved those because I was like, uh, it was it was just so funny. It was it was so it was so funny. Like oh, there's a hacked version of the game. Like it's haunted, and and there's a there's a, a creepy ghost inside the game that's gonna get you. Uh, and I feel like that started that that kind of like 
really came to be with the Lavender Town Syndrome, uh, which was uh, from the Pokemon Red and Green uh, games. And it was a peak. Red and green? <laughs> yeah. Damn. And it was a peak. Uh, uh, apparently there was a peak in, in, in uh, suicides and illnesses of children. And it's because they played uh, these Pokemon games and heard the Lavender Town theme and it drove them crazy. And that was just such like an old, like early internet video game creepypasta that like I don't think I'll ever. I remember reading it for the first time and being like, "Ooh, I guess I'll <laughs> never play that. That sounds that sounds scary." Uh, but it was just like the the music sounded kind of spooky, and and there were ghosts in the town, and and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you always respect a classic, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I think it's it's never about the story it's about the effect that the story has so and and that's so i wrote my um english thesis on creepypastas actually awesome (laughs) (laughs) i'm a big creepypasta nerd um and yeah i actually i really investigated for that thesis the effect of creepypasta like why why creepypastas are so powerful also what makes something a creepypasta um versus like a regular story and you know for those who are curious what i kind of landed on is a creepypasta is something that sets out to make you believe that it's real so a creepypasta isn't about the story a creepypasta is about the effect it has on its reader and the goal of the creepypasta is to escape its confines it wants to be shared it wants to be replicated it wants to be replicated with errors it it's essentially the modern digital urban legend. So when we were growing up and before the internet, urban legends were very, very common. Mm. There were things like the hook hand. Oh, um, <laughs> hook hand card door. Hook, yes. Hand hook, man hook card door. I think it's the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Now it circle. <laughs> Man hook, hand hook, car door. <laughs> All right, that's like, that's a song right there. That's a meme song. It's going uh, mad on YouTube. We'll be hearing it in about a week. Um, Yeah. Can you tell us, can you tell us the, the urban legend of car hook, man hook, car door? So man hook, hand hook, car door was about, I think, this couple – that were driving and they were they were going out uh they, they were driving through the woods i think and then there was a problem with the car so the boyfriend left the car <laughs> and <laughs> and and he's like i'll i'll be right back um if you uh if you if you you know if i don't come back in a certain amount of time don't don't open the 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 car door right don't don't get out of the car don't leave the car car's locked don't worry about it and so she i think she falls asleep and she wakes up uh and and uh finds that the part the boyfriend isn't there uh and 
<laughs> and so she opens the door and manhook, handhook, car door. <laughs> I, think it's the, I think it's the story. <laughs> Probably butchering it, but that being that's, said, it was butchered to begin with. I, yes, that's that's definitely the best version of that tale. <laughs> One of my favorite creepy bosses. It's so fucking funny, and I feel like that that was like the perfect satire of creepy pastas because, like. Mm-hmm. You know, doing like, oh, you know, it's so spooky, <laughs> and it, it, there's like an ending line that that hooks you. <laughs> Man hook, hand hook, card door. Oh, so just good. incredible. Yeah. I but- mean, it's, it's perfect. So, yeah, but I mean, look, we're talking about effects that creepy bosses have. It's great because you know, like, I think that one is so good because it does set you up with that tension of like, what's gonna happen, and you do you experience that fear moment, like no matter how big it's and or small it is, um, but you're like you're primed for an effect, and yeah. that's like why the response, you know, and we've both had it probably so many times but still great that little letdown is still so (laughs) profound (laughs) it's so good it's so good it's truly so good um i forget i I was going at a point but now i'm destroyed so (laughs) you know what we've we've been here for quite a while and I think it's about time we wrap it up. So, uh, Chantal, thank you so much for joining me today uh, to chat about your game and about how horrible being online is. Uh, where can we find you? Where can we support your work? And uh, where can we learn more about Dark Web Streamer? Uh, um, yeah, so we are naughty and because I'm a rebel, I haven't put a Steam page up yet. Um, <laughs> so no- today... For now, you can find <laughs> me on Thought Rise on Twitter. Um, and you can find most updates on Dark Web, really on our Discord, actually, which you can get to by going to the Dark Web Streamer Twitter. We do have darkwebstreamer.com as well, but I am an obnoxious arsehole and put almost no information on that because it brings <laughs> me glee. Uh, we like to invoke a bit of the creepypasta spirit in the game, and I like to kind of make people roam around the internet desperately trying to get tidbits of what the hell is this <laughs> thing. Eventually we'll get with a publisher and they won't let us play evil games anymore, but for <laughs> now, for now you must tunnel the Alice fall down rabbit holes um but yeah and oh to answer your question uh my favorite creepypasta is probably candle curve which people should go look up because it's an oldie and a goodie but yeah thank you ruby for having me allowing me to dredge up my trauma (laughs) (laughs) my pleasure I think <laughs> it's what you do, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, it's all a part of the business. You know? <laughs> and a big thank you to you for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, why not give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're using? Better yet, why not give us a nice little review? We might read it. Probably will read it, actually. I love reading things that are nice. And hey, if you really like what you're hearing and you'd like to hear more... 
consider supporting Back Pocket over on Patreon, where you can get access to our lovely Discord full of all sorts of buds. And if you support us at a certain tier, you can even get access to more audio content just like this. You can also find us over on Twitch, where we've got our main live show every Thursday night from 7pm AEST, and on TikTok, where we're constantly posting very good stuff for you to cast your big, beautiful eyes on. And then there's the socials, a Twitter and threads and whatnot, and you're also welcome to get around that too. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and as the Dybbuk would say, bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.